Amen. Amen. Um, I just have a quick <clears throat> scripture to start with. It is uh, Lamentations 3, 24 through 25. When's the last time you heard somebody teach out of Lamentations? <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun book. But there's something that Jeremiah says that's really, really cool in these, these verses here. So Lamentations chapter three, verses 24 through 25, all of my scriptures are in the New American Standard Bible in case you're reading in King James or something else. But Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I wait for him. Isn't it interesting that we were just singing about this, that we wait on the Lord? And then he says this, the Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. So this is gonna be our opening text today. And the title of what we're gonna talk about is where else can we go? Let's all bow our heads and just open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we get to spend with one another and with you, Jesus, because everything that we do today is all centered around you. I pray that the words that are spoken are your words and not mine. Lord, I'm asking that no flesh would glory in your presence and you would receive all of the honor and praise today. God, just open our hearts to receive your word. And I pray that you would speak to us about how we can seek you and how we can find you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're standing, you can be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for worshiping with us today. So in Lamentations, if you know anything about this particular book, um, Lamentations, the word uh, means a great cry or um, it's oftentimes translated to sobbing or weeping. And Jeremiah is the one who wrote this book. And he also wrote another book in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. And if you know anything about Jeremiah, people consider him the weeping prophet because he was, uh, even in his writings, you can see how emotional he was and how tore up he was about Israel's rebellion at that time. And he, he wrote this book and it's actually like a very long poem or song, that's how it's written. And it's God talking to him about what's going on in Israel and that ultimately they're being punished because um, they had strayed away from the Lord and started to serve other gods. So God is talking to Jeremiah and in Lamentations, you see God speaking to him and then also Jeremiah's response to what God is saying in chapter three in these, these two verses, this is Jeremiah responding to what God had previously said. Jeremiah himself being called the weeping prophet uh, was, was broken up about um, what was going on in Israel and ultimately he explains in Jeremiah chapter three or God explains that the reason why there was so much pain, loss, heaviness and darkness in the land was actually because of God's wrath, that God was upset with the condition of their heart and Jeremiah can identify with this because although him having empathy for his people and seeing them stray away from God, he himself experienced loss and being hated by his own people and being beaten for the words that he was speaking to Israel, trying to correct and bring them back into a relationship with God. 
So Jeremiah really is the embodiment of one who laments or one who cries out, one who is hurt and in pain. And Jeremiah says this, uh, if you back up just a few verses in Lamentations chapter three, he says in in response to God's punishment, he says, remember my misery and my homelessness, the wormwood and bitterness. So this is Jeremiah describing how he was living at this time, that he was afflicted, that he was homeless, that he was hurt and in pain. And then he says, my soul certainly remembers this. (laughs) It's kind of hard to forget when you're going through something like that. But he's, he's telling, he's pouring his heart out to God and he says, my soul remembers this pain that I'm in and is bent over within me, which is just a posture of pain. Have you ever been hit in the gut so hard you just kind of, <laughs> you just kind of double over or, you know, cramp or whatever and you're just kind of, ah. That's the way he describes his soul right now, that he is in pain. But then he says this, and this sounds like a, a total shift in mindset. So he's describing his circumstance, but then he says, I recall this to my mind, therefore I wait. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So even when Jeremiah was experiencing pain because of his circumstance, he remembered in his soul how good God is. I would actually take it a step further and say he had to remind himself how good God was. He thought back to the times that God saved him, that God protected him, that God gave him the words to speak. And when he was going through the most difficult moment in his life, he was able to say, hold on a second. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm in pain. But I remember the God that I serve. I remember that he is a good God and that he is merciful and that he will take care of me. You see, like when we go through situations like Jeremiah, and I know we've all gone through problems and we've all had struggles that, you know, we didn't seem to end or didn't seem like there was a way out. Jeremiah is teaching us something here, that even when you're going through it, what you have to do is remember what God has done and place your faith in him because he can take you through again. You know, what's interesting about this, though, is that in order to do that, in order to be able to remind yourself that God is good, you have to walk with the Lord for a little while. You remember in the opening text, Jeremiah says, the Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. And that's really what we're going to talk about today is seeking God. So seeking the Lord is a theme throughout the scriptures. It it begins in Genesis and goes all the way through the Bible. But this, this thought of seeking God, you know, many people use the phrase, I would say in church circles, they would use the phrase seeking the face of God. And that's that comes from scripture. That's what God commanded his people to do was to seek his face. And it's an interesting phrase, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but just to kind of center our ideas right now on the fact that God wants us to seek his face, we're going to go to Psalms 27, 
verses seven through nine, David, the man after God's own heart, the one that we talked about today in kids' life, the man that was anointed by God to take the leadership of Israel after Saul had failed. You know, he didn't always have a great life. After he was anointed by God, he kind of went back to normal for a little bit. He went back to his family, went back to being a shepherd. And then after a short time, he encounters an obstacle in the form of a giant, Goliath. But he wasn't afraid. And he wasn't afraid because when you read the scripture, it shows us a man who walked with the Lord. So when he encountered an obstacle, his first response was not one of fear, but it was one of faith because he knew the God that he served. So when he's facing down Goliath, he doesn't see a man who could take his life. What he actually sees is a man who was already defeated. See, that's, that's, that's a different way to look at, at our problems. When we walk with the Lord, we can be persuaded, that's what faith is, to be persuaded that God can do something. So when we look at our problems, we no longer have to look at them like, how am I gonna get through this? But rather, this is a problem that's already been defeated. This is a problem that God has already overcome. Jesus encouraged his, uh, his followers that in the world you're gonna have trouble, but don't fear, don't be afraid. Behold, I have overcome the world. So it doesn't matter what we face in life. God has already defeated it. See, that's, a, that's just a different mindset, and that's the way that David lived his life. It didn't mean his life was easy, but it meant that he had a better perspective when he encountered issues. So now we fast forward into Psalms, and, and David had lived his life. He's writing Psalms after he had um, well, some Psalms. He, he wrote after he had had the issues with Bathsheba, after his firstborn son had died, after all of these troubles in life. And now we see Psalm 27, and this is what David says. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, so David is saying that God told him something. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, God of my salvation. So what David is showing us here is that God was the one who told David to seek his face. It's not just a good idea that people seek God's face. God wants us to seek him out. Why? Why would the creator of the universe even care about us like little blips on the planet? Why would he even care? Well, the Bible teaches us that he cares greatly even for the animals that he created. And how much more does he care for the human soul that he breathed into a body? So the whole point here is not that it's just a good idea to seek God's face, but rather David said it was God's command that he seek his face. God desires us to search him out. God desires us to know him, not just know of him, not just have the head knowledge that, yes, God created the heavens and the earth, not just that. But when God says, seek my face, what he is telling David and ultimately what he's telling us is that I want an intimate relationship with you. That's what seeking God's face is all about. 
It's not about head knowledge, it's about heart knowledge. So seeking, when, when you look at that, that phrase in Hebrew, seeking uh, is an easy one. It just means to search out or to strive for. It's something to be worked after, essentially. Just like a relationship in our human lives. You have to build a relationship. With God, it is the same. We build our relationship with him every day. That's why we use that phrase, walking with the Lord. Because it's not just like all of a sudden, you know, I have an extremely intimate relationship with God in one moment and I never have to pray, I never have to read the Bible anymore, I never have to do, no, it's a journey. And it's a journey where we're continuously knowing and understanding and growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge of our creator. It's, it's a dynamic relationship, not a static one. Just like in the Old Testament, theologists use this phrase of progressive revelation. You'll see when you read the Bible, God is the creator first, and then God is understood to be the provider with Abraham, and then God is understood to be the, the healer with Moses, and God is understood. And these specific events happen in the Old Testament, and God gets a new title. It's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, like all of these different ways that God revealed himself to people. And then we get to the New Testament and we have Jesus who is the full embodiment and revelation of our God. But even when we walk with God, we may read the Bible and see, yes, I understand that God's a provider, but it is different when you need provision in your life and God does a miracle. Yes, we might understand that God is a healer because we read it in the Bible, but it's a different thing when you're sick in bed and there is no cure and God touches your body and heals you. Like there is, when we walk with the Lord, there's revelation that we get to under enjoy even throughout our life. But this truly is God's desire for all of his creation to seek his face. Revelation 3 and 20, Jesus even says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. That knocking that Jesus references, knocking on the door, he's talking about knocking on the door of every one of our hearts. And that knock is an invitation. That knock is an invitation to a relationship with our creator. Every human hears this knock at some form or fashion in their life. Every human hears the invitation or feels the invitation that Jesus extends to every person. Why? It's because God does not desire anyone to perish, but all come to repentance. So God does his part. He knocks on the door of our heart. But now there's a decision the decision to open the door. And if we choose to open the door, this picture is beautiful because Jesus says, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is a picture of a one-on-one -on -one dinner with our creator, an intimate moment where we can be, where we can see as clearly as we can his face. We can be as close to face-to-face -face as God as possible here on this earth. One day we will truly be face-to-face -face with God. But this is an invitation where Jesus wants to sit down with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to live in our heart. He wants to talk to us over dinner. 
He wants to minister to us. He wants us to share with him the troubles that we go through and the wins. He wants us to share in a relationship with him. It's such a beautiful picture to dine with Jesus. And the emphasis, if you recognize this in Psalm 27 and Revelation 3, the emphasis is on relationship. The emphasis is on building a relationship with our creator. Jesus, I want you to hear me. Jesus did not say, open the door so you can receive my miracles. Jesus did not say, open the door so you can receive my blessing. He said, open the door and have dinner with me. He said, open the door and have relationship with me. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But the big question now, if, if we understand that God wants us to seek his face, well, how do we do that then? How do you find the face of an invisible God? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 and 15 say this, and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And then he says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. In context, this was a promise because Israel had fallen and they were not living righteously. And God said, if they do this, I'll take care of them. If they just humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then God will do something. God will hear their prayer. God will heal their land. And this is true today spiritually, just as it was true to the Israelites in history. This is a true principle today. So to seek God's face, you notice that he connects prayer, he connects humility, and he connects repentance to seeking his face. All of these are connected when we talk about seeking God. First, we have to humble ourselves in his sight. First, we have to humble ourselves underneath our creator. This humility is all about submission. We have to be willing to set ourselves aside, set our desires aside, our plans, our imaginations, whatever it is, be willing to set it aside and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We talked about this in Spirit Life just this past Wednesday. We talked about humility, how God actively wars against and resists the proud. Think about what he told Edom in the, in the book of Obadiah. You have made your dwellings among the stars, and I will bring you low. God, when we're prideful, what we're really doing is taking Jesus off the throne and setting ourselves there. That's what pride is. So when Jesus says, if you humble yourselves, that's part of seeking God, where we step off the throne of our life and say, it doesn't matter what I want. And I'm not saying we don't plan and, you know, and actually make good decisions in our life. But what I'm saying is that as we plan, we do what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, let this cup pass from me. That's what Jesus' flesh wanted. That was his plan. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So saying, God, this is my plan for my life, but if you wanna change it, here's the pen. Change it. Do what you wanna do. 
That's what humility looks like, and that's what submission is, is when we actively choose, God, I'm choosing your way, not mine. So that's step one. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Second, we pray. This is the direct conversation with God, is prayer. Daniel is a portrait of prayer. Daniel is a portrait of an active prayer life. Look at what scripture says in Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel learned that the document was signed, he entered his house and in his roof chamber, he had his windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God. And then listen to this, just as he had been doing previously. That's the key in this whole thing. It wasn't that Daniel went to God and started praying three times a day because he was in trouble. It wasn't Daniel heard he could get arrested for praying to God, so then he's going and begging God for, to, to do something. No, Daniel was doing this already. And when he went through trouble, he already knew the posture of prayer. He already knew how to connect with God. So he just went back to what was comfortable. And that was praying three times a day. So this right here is a picture of someone who is living a prayerful life. Someone who did this in the good times and the bad times. Somebody who was walking with the Lord. So when trouble came, he was just doing what he had always done. He was just praying like he always did. That's the kind of prayer life that Jesus wants with us. That's the kind of conversation he wants with us. Not to just search him out when stuff's going wrong, but to pray every day, even when it's going good or bad. It does not matter. And thirdly, we repent. We have to understand, and I believe we all do, that we are not perfect and sin on a regular basis. That's human beings. Sinning is missing the mark. Jesus, like, Jesus is perfect, and we could never measure up to his life. Therefore, he made a way so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We have to repent, and repent regularly. The apostle Paul even said, apostle Paul, none of us in here are Paul, but the apostle Paul even said, I die every day. Every single day, I pour myself out to God, all my failings, all the things I've done wrong, and I ask God to forgive me. And repentance is more than just that. Repentance is actively walking towards the Lord and turning away from wickedness. So when we repent, what we're saying is, God, I recognize that I have sinned and I have not measured up, and I am actively choosing you. I'm gonna walk away from this lifestyle and I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna seek you. Repentance is such a cornerstone of seeking God because it sacrifices our flesh. It sets us aside, says, I know I can't measure up. Therefore, I'm gonna seek the face of God and I'm gonna follow after him. Acts chapter three, verse 19 says, therefore, repent and return. So see, there's an action involved. It's not just saying I'm sorry, but it's repenting and returning to Jesus so that your sins may be wiped away 
in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is the first step in receiving refreshment from the Spirit. Turning away from a world lifestyle and from sin and, and returning to Jesus. And see, this shows us how good God is. Because even when we're not good, he provided a way that we find in Acts 2.38, he died so that we could have new life and he provided a way so that we could repent of our sins, so that we could be, those sins could be then washed away in baptism in the name of Jesus and we could be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus residing inside of us. That shows us how good God is because even to a sinful world, he provided a way that we could seek him. And finally, I would add this, that seeking God's face includes studying his scripture. It's looking for God's character and will through all the avenues we have available to us. Prayer, scripture, fasting, repenting, all of the avenues we have available to us, finding the face of God. 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 13 is a great scripture. And this, uh, Kings, First and Second Kings, is a record of all of the kings in Israel and Judah. And what happened is uh, there was a king that came to power in Second Kings 22, and they were doing righteous things. They were living, they were doing the things they knew to do. But then there was, there was this person, Hilkiah, that found the book of the law. In Second Kings 22, verse 13, this is the response of Josiah. He says, this is his response to hearing the word of God. He said, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For the wrath of the Lord that burns against us is great because our fathers did not listen to the words of this book to act in accordance with everything that is written regarding us. When the king heard the words of scripture, they found something. They found revelation that they, they were doing things right to a sense, but there was still more. And they found that more in the scripture that they found here in the temple. The response here was after they heard the, the reading of the scripture and studying the word, they heard the law. This was Old Testament, remember that. They heard the law. But their response was not to reject it. Their response was, we need to apply this to our life because we have understood something that we have been missing out on. We've understood that there is more for us and that God wants us to walk a certain way. Therefore, through the study of Scripture, we're going to apply what we've learned. And that's a way that we can seek God's face. So when we truly seek him according to that second chronicle scripture, it says that God will uphold his end of the bargain, which is to hear our prayer, it's to forgive our sin, it's to bring healing to us, and relationship comes with that. But what's unfortunate is most people get this relationship with, I won't say most people, that's an exaggeration. Some people get this relationship with God backwards. And many people Seek the hand and not the face. Many people seek the benefits and not the commitment. And this is dangerous because this is a backwards relationship with Jesus. He wants us to seek his face. And I'll tell you this, if you seek God's face, his hand comes with it. 
But if you seek his hand, you might miss his face. I, you know, I got a customer at the bank, and this bothers me a lot. <laughs> I have a customer at the bank who, I, I'm in the banking world, okay? So, like, we like to open accounts and, you know, do loans for people and things like that. We like that. Well, I have this customer that when he has an issue, he always comes in to find me. And he says, hey, like, you really got to help me out. I promise, like, I'm going to open this account. I'm going to bring my business over here. We're going to do all this stuff. So I help him. And then I never hear from him again. And he does this to me over and over again. And it feels kind of like he's using me to get things done. He likes me for what I can provide to him. But he doesn't want commitment. He doesn't want to uphold his end of the bargain. But he's always running to me when he needs something, when he's got a problem, when he, you know, whatever. I wonder how Jesus feels when that's our relationship with him. And don't get me wrong, God is good and he helps and he provides. But how, does, how do you think that, make God, that makes God feel when we treat him like Santa Claus? How do you think that makes God feel when we treat him like a vending machine, when we can just, I know if I pray, I'm gonna get God's attention and he's gonna bless me and then I'm gonna go about my day. That's not a healthy relationship. And you know what? Actually, our, our society even shows us that this is the way that humans operate, that we want the benefits of things, but not the commitment. When you even just look at the census, census.gov reports that the estimated median age to marry in 2022 for the first time was 30 years old and 28 for women. 30 years old for men, 28 for women, up from ages 23 and 20 from 1947. And that coincides with the increase of cohabitation without marriage. Census.gov reports in 2018, uh, the, from ages 18 to 24, cohabitation is now more prevalent than living with a spouse when you're age 18 to 24. Everybody wants the benefit, but not the commitment. Everybody wants what they can get out of the relationship, but not the relationship. You know, it, and, and Jesus dealt with this exact same issue in John chapter six. In John chapter six, Jesus fed the 5,000 right at the beginning, and then the people wanted to make him their king. But Jesus is like, that's not what I came to do, and he withdraws himself and goes into the mountain alone. Well, that night, the disciples get in a boat and they go to Capernaum, and Jesus walks on water. This is the storm. Jesus walks on water and they bring him into the boat and they end up on the other side. Well, the next morning, that crowd that Jesus fed the previous day were looking for him. They wanted to be around Jesus for a little bit. So they're like, where did he go? Well, they track him down and cross, I don't know how many people. I imagine this huge exodus of like 10,000 people getting in all their boats and trying to go across to Capernaum. I don't know if that was the case. But when they got there, Jesus realized something. He saw something in their heart. This is what he said in John 6, 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Jesus calls them out to the carpet. You're looking for me just because of the things you got from me, not for me. You're not looking for me. You're looking for more food. You're not looking for me. You're looking for more of what I can give you. And that, that wasn't a good relationship. And Jesus takes them through this teaching that, 
You want bread, but I'm the bread of life. You want your belly to be full, but you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is what Jesus, this was Jesus's message to them. And what's interesting is that if you read verse 14, they recognize Jesus as a prophet and not the Messiah. That's important because they did not understand who Jesus really was. They knew that he was a prophet, that he could do miracles. They knew that, but they did not recognize him as their savior. The thing most important, and that's what Jesus was trying to get across to them, is you're interested in food that fills your belly, but I wanna give you food that fills your soul. I wanna save you. I wanna do these, and that's what Jesus, that's the message he was preaching, but Jesus got really graphic, and they didn't understand. Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. We didn't sign up for that. That's... And they actually thought that he was talking in the physical realm, that they needed to eat his flesh physically and drink his blood, which was a callback. I'm sure they remember that that was an obscene practice done in the Old Testament when Israelites walked away from God. And, and when he was explaining this to them, he says, your, your father's ate manna that came out of heaven, but I came out of heaven and I'm the bread of life. And they didn't get it. They were repulsed by what he said. And they said, this saying is too hard for us. And they left. And Jesus is standing there. Crowd walks away. Jesus is left standing there. And I imagine that he was so disappointed in these people for looking for him just for what they could get out of him and not for him. You know, Jesus taught Matthew 7 that there's gonna be people that enjoy his benefits, but at the end judgment, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus teaches there's gonna be people that that did all manner of miracles, that prophesied, that cast out demons, that did all of these things. But when they stand before God, Jesus will say, I never knew you. What does that tell us? Jesus wants us to seek him, not his hand. He wants us to seek his face, not his hand. So when Jesus is standing there and the crowd leaves, he turns to the 12. And this is what he says, John 6, 67. You don't want to leave also, do you? I mean, I imagine Jesus was probably hurt by what these people did. And he turns to the 12 and says, well, are you guys going to leave me too? And this is where we get the title of this message today, is Peter's response to Jesus' question. Because after hearing that strange and difficult message, the 12 could have walked away with the crowd. They could have said, like, I, I didn't sign up for all that. That sounds a little too big for what I really want. But Peter steps up and he speaks on behalf of the disciples, like he's wont to do all the time. But this is what he says. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Or where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So while this crowd knew Jesus as a prophet, the disciples knew Jesus as the Savior. There's a difference here. There's a different level of intimacy that's going on here. The crowd knew that Jesus could do some stuff. The crowd knew that they saw a miracle and it filled their belly. They knew that Jesus could heal the sick. But when Jesus was asking for a commitment, you need to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. You need to live for me. You need to walk with me if you want eternal life. 
They weren't ready for that message. But the 12 heard the same message that Jesus preached. And their response was the opposite. Where else are we gonna go? You know, that level of intimacy comes with walking with the Lord. These men, I imagine, because of the way that Peter says this, I imagine that they probably started following Jesus as a teacher, that they, they probably knew there was something special about Jesus, but they started following him, maybe didn't really know who he was at that time. Because Jesus says, we have come to know that you're the Holy One of Israel. So with, by walking with Jesus, they started to learn who Jesus is. And they started to see past just the miracles and the benefits. And don't get me wrong, when we seek God's face, he pours out miracles and blessings in our life. He does. But they even cut past that and saw who Jesus was. They weren't just looking for the hand. They were looking for a relationship with their Messiah because that's what Peter meant when he said, you're the Holy One of Israel. He was saying, you're our Savior. You're the one that's come to not just save us here, but to save our souls. You're the one that we should be with, not just seeking your blessings. And you know, when you walk with God, you start to you start to have that same feeling. When you're, when you're close with the Lord, you start to look at this world and you say, if I wasn't with Jesus, where else would I go? There is nowhere else to go except to be in the presence of God. That's what you start to realize when you're seeking God's face, that his presence is the best place to be, that his presence, just being with him, whether he's blessing or not, but just being with him is where we need to be because he has the words of eternal life, because he has the thing, the, the healing for our souls, not just our body. He's got healing for our mind, not just our body. He's, he's got provision for our soul, not just for our bank account. He's the one that we need to be with. And that's what the 12 realized when the crowd didn't. Let's all stand. We're gonna bring this to a close pretty quick. I was talking to a friend of mine. This is where we're going to close. I got a story for you. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he told me a, a great testimony, an incredible testimony, and I want to share it with you. His cousin, who's a pastor in Cincinnati, has walked with the Lord for a long time, is also a police officer, and he was going through a horrible divorce. Five kids later, I think the wife left, just a pastor. You know, he had lived for God like his whole life. He had walked with the Lord in good times and bad and now is going through all of this. And on top of it, he had nowhere to go. He had no house. They got five kids, right? A two-bedroom apartment isn't gonna work for that. He had nowhere to go. And he was just praying like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. All I know is I need to be close to you. That was the prayer. And my friend said that uh, his cousin was looking for a house to purchase because they needed some space for his family and was just, you know, on the verge of just being homeless with five kids, all the while serving God, seeking his face, living for the Lord and going through like this traumatic experience. And he said that they talked on the phone and my friend just prayed, you know, faith, just prayed faith. Like, God, God, do something. 
You know, like we know that you're gonna do something. We trust you. We, we believe that you're gonna provide. We're, we believe that you can do a miracle here. And that's kind of where the phone call ended. Well, the next day, his cousin put in an offer on a house, found out that he couldn't get approved for a loan because his credit score wasn't good enough unless he brought like another four and a half percent down, which as y'all know on, on house prices, four and a half percent down is thousands of dollars, which he did not have because he lost almost everything in this divorce. Like you talk about going through something and not knowing where you're gonna go and what's gonna happen. And he said that his cousin just kept praying, Lord, I have served you and I trust you. I have walked with you and I know you can do something. And that's the prayer. Let me just say this, that that is the prayer of somebody who has sought the face of God. That's the prayer of somebody who knows the God they serve. He wasn't just praying for the blessing, but he was saying, God, I already have faith that you can do something. That's, that's like the way David prayed. God, I know you can do something because I've walked with you this long. Well, he ends up getting declined for the loan through the bank and there's this whole ordeal like it's not gonna work. And, and he didn't have enough money to find a new house and the seller was about to back out, like just all of this stuff. Well, they pray again, my friend and his cousin, they pray again. And the next day, his cousin received a phone call from the agent, from his real, real estate agent. And get this, this is, this is what happens. When you seek God's face, his hand comes with it. The agent said, hey, I got some good news for you. The seller of the house has agreed to drop the price and is bringing the four and a half percent down that you need to closing. You tell me that's not God. Because a seller paying your closing costs in a market like that, y'all don't work in the banking industry, so you might not know, but the market is still hot right now. You can get a lot of money for your houses and they close fast. And this seller was willing to pay his down payment so he could get this house. That does not happen apart from God. That is something that God does. And I'll tell you this, when you seek God's face, his hand comes with it. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it backwards where all we're looking for is the spiritual vending machine. That's not the way to get God's favor. The way to get God's favor is to seek his face. That means spending time on our knees in our prayer life. That means spending time in the word to know him in a deeper way. And when we do that and we walk with the Lord, he takes care of his people. So remember this. In Lamentations 3.25, this is where we're gonna close. Let's all bow our heads and get ready for prayer. Remember what Jeremiah wrote at the beginning of our, our lesson today. He said, the Lord is good to those who await him, to the person who seeks him. So if you need something today from the Lord and you need a miracle, seek his face and he'll show you his hand. You seek to know him better and he will bless you. Doesn't mean life's gonna be perfect, but it does mean that he's gonna be good to us and that he will take care of us. So as we begin to pray, if you're comfortable where you're at and you're building an altar there and you're praying one-on-one -on -one with God, that's fantastic. 
I also want to open the altar too. We do an altar call as well, where you have an opportunity to step out in faith. If you feel the Lord calling you down here, if you want to just demonstrate your faith and pray down here, you can. But right now, focus on that one-on-one with Jesus. Focus on his face right now, not his hand. And he will bless. In Jesus' name. It's more than that. 